Good morning, everyone. You know, one of the things that uh, has become very, very prominent in our culture, um, and I don't know how many years back it goes, but it, it, it definitely wasn't the case when, my, when, I, when I was a young, young person before my high school years or uh, even into my college years as much when I was able to talk with my grandparents when they were still alive, and that's the idea of investing for your future. And I'm talking about investing for your future, I'm talking financially. In, but in, in, since my college years, that whole thing has just exploded, where actually there's all kinds of uh, um, advertising that goes on around it, and a lot of it has to do some, somewhat, to be honest with you, if you look at the way those are done there, it's, it's prominent enough now where it kind of makes us a little bit nervous or we can be a little bit scared to make sure that we have enough for when we retire. That's, that's a more recent thing. Um, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having retirement planning and investing. I think it's a wise thing, but we have to remember again is um, where does our treasure really lie? And, our, and our, our message this morning is looking at kingdom investment for the future. Um, and I'm not, and again, please, as we go through today, we will, you know, I think the passages we're looking at do address maybe somewhat with money, but it's used more as an example. It's part of it, definitely, but only a small, small portion. Um, so we want to take a look at this idea of, of kingdom investment. And the context of this, though, is uh, a statement that Jesus made in response to what the, uh, um, to what the disciples had asked them. He had asked the disciples a question, or the disciples had asked him a question. He was talking about some things, and they were commenting on how wonderful the temple looked and the beauty of Jerusalem. And then he said, you know, guys, there's a day coming when not one stone will be left on top of another. And that really would have gotten their attention. Like, whoa, wait a minute, that's pretty severe. They said, Jesus, tell us, tell us about when that's going to happen and also tell us what the signs of the end will be. And then Jesus goes into a long dissertation on explaining end times. I'm going to look at one of the scriptures he said. There it is. He, uh, sorry, this is what they said. Tell us when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age. And um, Jesus says a couple things there. And he goes on, like I said, that he, he warns them. He says, therefore... In, in, in his dissertation, there's a couple warnings, and one of them says, therefore, keep watch because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. If you take that all by itself, you can say that's kind of a random statement, but you've got to realize what Jesus was addressing to his disciples, a question they had asked, and he's warning them in the middle of it and warning us, keep watch because you don't know when it's going to happen. He also says, you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. So there is definitely a warning put out by Jesus to his followers that this idea of when the end will come, um, Scripture also tells us that no one knows the day or the hour, not even the Son, not even Jesus himself, only the Father knows when that timing will be. And Jesus' explanation to us has been, you need to keep watch and you need to live ready so that when that does occur, you're not caught off by surprise. Um, this is from Matthew 24, and then there's some other things we're going to look at in Matthew 25. But this idea of, of some questions possibly that can come up for us. First off, I remind you, this is not a message this morning uh, just simply about the end times. It's a, it's a message that focuses on the warnings and the instruction that gave, Jesus gave about the end times. So I'm not going to go into talking about 
what it's going to be like and what's going to happen and the sequence of events, but it's what do we need to do to be ready? And so it leads to questions, what, is, what do we need to be ready? What, what does it mean to be watchful? What should you and I be doing as followers of Christ when Jesus returns? In other words, in that split second when he comes for his church, what should I be about? What should you be about? What should we be busying ourselves with these days? What should we be busying ourselves with? What should be taking up our time and our attention and our focus? What's Jesus looking for in you and I that would bring him to say when he comes back to snatch us up to take us to be with him forever and for him to look us square in the eye and say, well done, good and faithful servant. What is he looking for in his, in his followers, in his people, in his disciples? And we're going to take a look at that. And one of the things that comes out is he gives an example um, at the end of uh, 24, Matthew 24, verses uh, 45 and 47, which we'll look at in a second, that uses this term as the faithful servant. And so Jesus is illustrating in here at the end of chapter 24 and then gives several examples in chapter 25 of what this faithful servant, the person who pleases him, the person who's ready and watchful would be. So let's take a look at this one in Matthew 24. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. And I want to warn us about something like this. It's pretty easy to get into this, and then we hear about household, and we immediately start thinking, well, i got to take care of my household, and bring the context back. Jesus is talking about, this is what you need to do to be ready when I return. And he's talking about who will be that faithful servant who has been put in charge of feeding my servants at the proper time that I'll find doing so when I return. What about this idea of Jesus being placing his household in charge of, of his servants? I would say, stick a step further, Jesus has taken his whole household, his followers, his kingdom, and he's placed it in the charge of people like you and me. Now, that's a scary thought. A scary thought for me. And if you're humble, it's a scary thought for you. You mean Jesus has taken his kingdom on earth and he's placed it in my charge and in your charge? That's absolutely the case. Jesus isn't here in person. The Spirit is on the earth. The Spirit's going to and fro looking for people. Jesus' presence is with us, but he's not physically here. And in his absence... In this time, he has taken his kingdom and put it in charge of people like you and I. Now, you could look at this and saying, well, when it talks about feeding my servants at the proper time, it could immediately go, well, that's, that's for pastors. That's for people in formal ministry. That's for Bible teachers. That's for the experts. I think there's a much broader message here that's very easy for us to skip over and think this applies to somebody else. Notice again, it's true that Jesus was talking to his disciples, but when he's talking about who will be the faithful servant that I'll find so doing when I return, he's not just going to look at those that are called to formal ministry or whatever you want to call that. He's looking at all of his servants and what they're doing. Jesus has gone to be with our Father in heaven, but he placed his kingdom in control of us or in charge of us. And he has expectations. And he has intentions of those of us that he's done that with, how we would walk with him, what his followers and the disciples would be engaged in, what our ministry would look like. And he goes on to tell us that it's good, 
and beneficial and a positive thing when he returns and finds his servants doing that which he asked them to do. The fortunate thing about this is we don't have to, so far it can seem kind of fuzzy and vague. And Jesus actually taught. That's where, you know, we've heard before, chapter markers didn't exist in the original transcripts. This was Jesus actually speaking. And, and, and we're in Matthew. And Matthew was recording what his recollection after the fact was about what this message Jesus was. So this is all one thing, all the way through 24 into 25. And what Jesus did is he tells this, he tells this thing I just said, who is the faithful servant who God will find doing what he said? And then he goes on to chapter 25 and he gives a series of examples about what he was talking about before. So if you're going to fully grasp what he was saying in 24, you have to spend time looking at his examples in chapter 25. And we're going to look at one of those this morning. Um, one of the examples, there's several of them, but if, if you have a Bible, I'm not going to put it up because it's too much to put on the screen, but it's Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to read one of those examples. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's Matthew 25, 14 to 30. I'll put it up on the screen so you can see that. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Again, Jesus giving an example, of another example of what this faithful servant feeding his servants looks like in an example that we could understand. Okay, it says this. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey. What he says, again, it will be like. He's referring back to this is what it's going to look like in the end times as I leave and then I come back. It will be like a man going on a journey. But he's simply saying it's going to be like me. I'm like going on a journey. Who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents? See, I've gained you five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid the talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so, then, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw that worthless servant outside in the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We usually tend to kind of look over the end of that there. It's a pretty harsh statement at the end of the judgment that comes down. And Jesus is trying to get our attention. He's talking about the end of the end. And if we don't have it right when he comes, there's trouble. It's an eternal trouble, eternal eternity in hell. So it, it's, it's meant to do exactly what it did, to get our attention, to remind us of some things. 
want to pull a few things out of that passage. The first thing, Jesus gives responsibility. He gives the responsibility of using our time, our skills, our abilities, our relationships, our gifts, our influence, and our money according to our ability. He gives responsibility for all these things according to our ability. What that means is Jesus is not going to give us more responsibility and more things in those areas than we have the ability to handle. That doesn't sit real well in good old United States of America. We think everything should be equal and we should all be given the same stuff. I remind you that we have a Father in Heaven that saw us from the beginning, formed us and shaped us with a plan in mind, saw our, our, our strengths, our weaknesses, the way He made us, and He gave us certain things in accordance with how He designed us and built us. We need to guard against the things that's very humanistic where we, where we get worked up about the fact, well, I don't have as much in the way of skills and abilities and talents as the next person. We have to trust, one, two things can go on. First off, we have to trust that God knew what he was doing. And secondly, sometimes we have gifts and abilities and skills and talents that we personally overlook in ourselves. We don't recognize them as such, the value there are. Okay? But again, it's clear. It's clear in this that Jesus gives according to ability. He does use money as an example. When he's talking about the talent here, it's about a wage, it's money. Um, some of them say as much as $1,000, and I didn't go into great things because that's a side point. It's, it's money he's talking about. And I would just be careful that we don't leave it with just money because not only does he give us money, he does give us money to steward. The money and the resources that you have financially are not yours. They're given to you by God himself. You say, is that just because I'm a Christian? No, that's really true of everybody. And in judgment, there will be a judgment. What did you do with what I gave you? Now, there's... It's, it's viewed differently, but I just want to remind you that everybody on the face of this has been given certain things. It's not just money that we're to steward, though. It's our time, our skills, our ability, our relationships, our gifts, the influence that we have in people's lives. All of that is he's given us the responsibility to steward our potential for kingdom impact. Our potential for kingdom impact. He gives according to our abilities, our competence in being able to do things, the natural aptitudes that he placed in us, but also you can acquire, actually listed in this idea of our ability is, I would remind you of this there, he gave us according to his abilities, which means that if he made you a person who is very much outgoing and an influencer of people and it comes naturally to you, he gave you certain things in that according to that ability that he placed there. Okay? And if you're more of an introverted person who maybe has administrative talents and gifts or can work behind the scenes and actually likes to get the, the, the detail stuff done, but you're really not as much in, you know, you can talk to people and all that, but it's not your natural thing to be the life of the party or to be able to, to approach a stranger in that sense there. God might not require the same thing from you as far as reaching out to people as he would another person. Not off the hook totally, but you've got to see there again, it's all according to ability and the way he designed us. And this idea too, wrapped up in this idea of aptitude and ability is this, and it's interesting how it's tied right in that, that, that the Greek word there, is the idea of 
Also, it's not just what you started with, it's also acquired proficiency and skills. So he continues as we grow and grow in confidence and rely on him, he continues to pour more in because we, if we're a growing Christian, we grow more proficient and more skilled in kingdom work. And as that happens, he continues to pour more responsibility in there and more ability. God has given each one that's listening today, anybody that's listening today, he's given each one of us responsibilities in his kingdom. doesn't matter if you're in formal ministry or not. If you are a follower of Christ, he's given you responsibility in his kingdom. Responsibility to manage your money and time for his kingdom. Responsibility to manage and use the relationships and the impact and the influence that you have in the lives of people for, God, for his kingdom's impact. He's given you the responsibility to take the skills, the gifts, the talents that maybe all you've ever seen is they can be used in the secular world and your job or out in the community. He's saying, no, I gave you that so that you could be an influencer and use it for kingdom's good. Nobody is left out of this statement if they're walking with Christ. Nobody. It's not something that you... You, you, you sign in a dotted line for a position in church and then it begins. No, when you come to Christ, it begins. And the idea is, like we said, we've said numerous times in recent weeks, even, even in the meeting on Wednesday night, the idea that God's plan for anybody that follows Christ is not a static, stay the same. It's always an expansion and a growth. And I'm not talking bigger for bigger sake or more for more sake to be a bigger consumer. No, it's a higher, increased, ongoing impact for God's kingdom, which means influencing others. There should be an ever-growing increase in our lives in that area. Increasing influence, increasing impact. And this follows into that as well. The idea that we have a responsibility to do those things. Now, getting in that same theme, it's clear that God's expectation is for us to invest that which he's given us and that which he's entrusted us. And you can't get past that in this parable that he tells, an explanation at the end. His intention is that his followers, people like me and you, whether you're in position or not, would be to invest what he's given us. Notice what the language that's used when Jesus said. He said, after the man was, after each one of those, the first two guys were given the money that God had given, that the, the master had given them, and he left, it says they immediately put that money to work. There was no waiting. There was no, I'll do it later. When I grow a little bit more or after I followed a little longer, it was this instantaneous, compelled in their nature to go out and utilize that which was given to them and entrusted them and grow it. They went to work with that money and the idea here, this idea of investing, they were trading with it with the idea of growth. And the interesting thing is, isn't that greedy? when it comes to money, whose money was it? It wasn't theirs, and they knew they were gonna to have to give it back. They were faithful stewards, faithful servants who invested it, put it to work so it would grow. God's intention and his expectation is that me and you would take all that he's given us and invest it where? In his kingdom's work, that we would be involved and that we would be engaged in what he's given us to do in his kingdom. That we would take the gifts, the talents, the skills, the abilities, the relationships, all that stuff, that we would take it and make use of it 
in order that it would have a future benefit. It might, you know, the one thing about investments, when you put a money in a, in a financial investment, you put it in there, and what do they tell you to do usually? Ignore it, put it in there, let it do its work, and then at some future time, it will have grown and have a greater use. And that's what God is telling us. Take all this stuff that I've given you, whether it be your possessions, but also your talent, skills, ability, time, relationships, influence, and put it to work in the kingdom, and you can expect that over time, not necessarily instantaneously, it will grow. One thing that if you have financial investments, maybe you're closer to retirement, and when things happen like what happened back in the mid-2000s and again recently, your investments might have done what? Boom. And that could be nerve-wracking. But what they say oftentimes is it's harder when you're at retirement or closer to that, but if you're younger, they say ignore it. It will turn around again. And so what God is telling us, just because you invest something and you don't see an immediate result, Continue to keep that and keep investing and keep being generous and using the stuff that he's given for his kingdom work, and it will have an effect. And we're supposed to do that immediately. It's not something that's left for the more mature followers of Christ or those that have been doing it for a long time or those that are in position. It's meant for every follower. And again, I want to remind you of this. God's plan, and it's all through Scripture, is that these ideas, when we invest in His kingdom, and again, please remove just the financial, the money part of it, because I know that this is used oftentimes in talks about money, and I don't want you to get fixed. We're good old capitalistic Americans, and I'm not saying that's bad, good, whatever, but it taints the way we view Scripture. This is a much broader picture than just money. Although money, He has given us money to manage, it's included, it's not the only thing. His plan, again, is for what he's given us, and as it's invested, it will grow. Not for our benefit, for his kingdom's benefit. And when, when I say that generalize his kingdom benefits, what does that mean? To benefit other people, to benefit other followers of Christ, to help bring new people into the kingdom. That's the growth we're talking about. On, the side, on another note here, it's also clear that God isn't pleased. When we keep what he's given and entrusted to us, that whole broad thing from money and possessions all the way down to influence and impact and relationships, he's not pleased when we keep what he's given and entrusted to us and we keep it for ourselves and for our own benefit. When we fail to utilize what he freely gave us, which wasn't even ours in the beginning, and the only reason we have it is because of his graciousness to us, when we hold on to that instead of giving it freely back to his kingdom's work. He's not really pleased and happy when we don't use our relationships and the influence that he's allowed us to do and brought us at the right time at the right place, when we don't use those to influence and introduce people to Jesus or to help them grow in their faith. When we keep all those God-given skills, abilities, and talents that too often we view as just that's what I do for a living, when we keep those things to benefit just us financially rather than utilize them to benefit the kingdom of God. When we selfishly hoard 
our time for ourselves. I can't take on it. I think I'm way too busy. I got too much going on. And I realize that that may be true, but we've got to be very careful because that's a bold thing in our community and our culture today about our busyness factor, and that eliminates that. God, we will, we will answer for what we did with our time. And when we say we were too busy, what were we too busy with? That's where I go back to that big question. We should be asking ourselves the question, what should we be busying ourselves with? What should I be busying myself with, and what should you be busying yourself with that fits in what Jesus was talking about? Let's go back to those questions again, like I just said. What should you and I be doing when, we return, when he returns? What can I do and what can you do to be considered a faithful and wise servant whom Jesus is pleased with at the end? Okay, I'm going to give it to you right here. Investing all that he's given. Investing your very life in his kingdom. And I want to tell you, anybody listening this morning, as you start to walk with God, he has definitely given you things. Well, you don't know me very well, Pastor. I don't have skills. I don't have a and That's not true. That's an enemy. That's a, that's a, 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 a worldly, poor self-value speaking through that. If you were formed by the Creator God with skills, abilities, talents, and a future and a plan and all those things, He has most definitely given you things, powerful things to be used in His kingdom. Let me give you some examples. Do you have a single relationship with another person? Do you have only one relationship with a person? That's absurd. I've got more than one. Yeah, but I'm just trying to bring it right down to you. Everybody has at least one relationship. What's he saying then? His intention was that you would, you, you would take that relationship and be before God working to impact that relationship so it has kingdom value in it. Inviting that person, if they don't know Christ, to at least consider spiritual matters, to consider Christ, consider God and what he says. If they're a person who already knows Christ, to encourage that person by your words and by your actions and by your prayers that they would grow in their faith. By being a good example in that relationship. That you're affecting that person for good rather than bad. Or instead of being neutral so that they affect you, your actions and your behaviors affect them. And don't try this once in a while in those relationships. Share what God has done for you. Tell your story. The good and the bad. What he rescued you out of. The difference that he's made. Even when you struggle. Even when you struggle. Tell people that. How about this? Do you have any money at all? Well, not after I pay my bills, I don't. I did. That's not the question. Do you have any money? Do you have any possessions? Well, I have an old beat-up car, and I don't even own the house I live in, and, 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 and. We can, you see, we make up a lot of excuses. Do you have any money, and do you have any possessions, anything you own? Again, invest those in the kingdom. You say... Well, Pastor, after I pay my bills, I just don't have much. After I, I just do the basics, and, and this is where it's tough as Americans because our concept of what we need and what bills have to be paid and what don't have to be paid, the need, the want, all that stuff there. But we really need to wrestle with this. Investing our finances and our possessions in the kingdom of God. 
Remember the widow's mite? Now this is not, okay, what I say next is not an excuse if you have abundance to live at the upper limit of what you can spend and then have only a little bit left over. That's not what I'm talking about. But if maybe you do make a very low wage and you really do have a hard time making ends meet, it's not the amount that necessarily matters. Remember the story, again, of Jesus and the widow's mite when he was watching people put money in the plate. And there were rich people putting a lot in, and all of a sudden this poor woman comes in and she gives just like basically a penny, if you will. And Jesus stops and says, that woman gave more than anyone else. No, she didn't. She only gave a penny. But Jesus said, she gave everything she had. Do you realize what he's saying? She invested everything she had, materially speaking, in the kingdom. And you can be guaranteed that if she did that, she probably was doing that with the rest of her life as well. It's not the amount, but the heart condition. It's interesting that we, we when it comes to money in churches, organized church, we can talk about the tithe. And everybody's always looking for rules. It's interesting as you look through the New Testament, I'm not, and I'm not making a point for or against the tithe, I want to take you to another scripture where Paul says everybody should, should, should consider in their heart before God what he's asking them to give on a regular basis. And then they should be faithful to that. Now that'll make you squirm. Because you know what that means? It may means for one person 10% isn't necessary. For another person 10%'s not enough. And it's not as a church speaking. This is things that, that the Apostle Paul wrote to followers like you and I. The idea here is it's not the amount but the heart condition and having this heart to invest everything we have ever possible for the kingdom of God. Don't underestimate what God can do with what you invest, whether it's small or large. I, didn't, I should have done this. It just, just comes to me today. I wonder what would have happened back when Apple was just a, a thought. And you could buy stock at the beginning if you'd have bought just two shares or just 10 shares and then not touched it till now, what would it be worth? It's not, it's not the amount that you invest. It's, it's the heart condition. And here, remember this. It, it, don't underestimate what God can do with what you give when it's given with the right attitude and the right heart condition. There's many stories. He talks about a mustard seed of faith using the smallest seed that people were acquainted with that they could have easily visualized. He's saying, a mustard seed of faith, you could tell that mountain to move and it would move. Don't need a lot when God's involved and the heart's right. He also goes on, do you remember what he did? Do you remember what he did with just a few loaves and five fish? You need to feed him, he told his disciples. Where are we going to get enough food or enough money? First off, food. There's only, we only have five loaves and two fish. Where are we going to get enough money to feed these thousands of people? And Jesus said, what do you got? Well, we have a few loaves and a couple small fish. He said, bring them to me. They gave them to them. He multiplied them. They fed the thousands of people and had baskets full left over. There is a powerful lesson in that. It's not the amount. Again, it's the heart condition and investing it and giving it to God for utilization in his kingdom. I'm telling you, God still does those same kinds of miracles today. You mean he's going to, if I go home today, he'll take my, my loaf of bread and turn it into five loaves of bread? My question is, are you going to have 100 people at lunch today? 
no, he's probably not going to do it then. But if you, are, if you are actively working with him and investing in his kingdom impact, there are going to be these times when, whether it be money, resources, gifts, abilities, skills, relationships, whatever else, but your heart is to do and to see it grow, he's going to see to it that what you give is going to be enough and he'll multiply it and make up the difference for impact. Got any skills? Any abilities? Any talents? Or any gifts? And this is where a lot of people are, and this is a, a term that is not a term of made it up. That's where a lot of people are pridefully humble. They may think, no, I don't really have much. I'm not very good at anything. Stop. I said before, the maker of the universe, your creator, God, at conception, with a plan in mind, put skills, abilities, talents, gifts into you. They are there. Don't walk another day saying, I don't have anything to offer. That is not true. Your enemy would like to keep you in that spot so that you don't invest in the kingdom of God. Here's another way of looking at it. What seems simple to you oftentimes is a God-given gift, ability, or skill. It comes so easy to you, it just oozes out of you, and somebody else, yes, believe it or not, somebody else looks at you and can even be jealous that you can do that so easily. And you say, what do you mean? It's easy. Not for me, it's not. Or not for the other person, it's not. What comes, what's simple? What's something you love to do? Invest those things with an effort as you invest them to bless and to help others in the midst of their lives. How can you take those things that naturally come out of you that's not, a, not work, that's not hard to do, but you like to do and it brings life to you, how can you do that on the behalf of other people? How can you do those things as an act of worship to Jesus Christ? I guarantee you that when you start doing that, God will use that to grow his kingdom. That's the whole principle we're looking at here. He will grow his kingdom as we invest that way. Do you have the capacity within you to love and to care for people? Now we're getting a little bit in a weird spot. Some of you say, I used to. But I have been misused, I've been abused, I've been, just it's been a mess. And I don't know if I can love people. I don't know if I can be that vulnerable. I'm afraid to care because every time I do, my heart gets wrenched out. Just the simple fact that, you, that you're cautious and scared to do so leads to indicate that you do have the capacity to love and you do have the capacity to care. So what's God saying as far as investing there? You got that capacity? Love people the way Jesus loved, with no strings attached. Sometimes our heart gets ripped out, and we get let down because we love expecting something in return. If we don't expect anything to turn, but we love and we care expecting nothing in return, we're not let down when nothing happens. We could be disappointed but looking back at it, our motivation shouldn't have anything to do with a benefit for myself. It should be everything about God. What can you do with my act of care or act of love? Care for people as Jesus did. Look at the things he did for people. You're saying, are you talking about healing? Yeah. When somebody's sick and can't get better, put your hands on them and pray for them just like Jesus did. That's investing in the kingdom. That takes faith to do so. Well, what if nothing happens? Not your responsibility. 
What is your responsibility is to do so. What if God intended to use you to bring heal, you as the vessel by which his spirit would bring healing, but because of your nervousness of whether something would happen or not, you don't do so. And then God has to go looking for somebody else. Be quick to do the acts of Jesus, even when they require great faith. Be his hands. Be his feet. Be a shoulder to lean on for somebody who's suffering or hurting. Check in on your friends and your coworkers regularly. Be sensitive to their needs and emotions. In other words, when you sense that they're not right, and I, I've got one right now, and Lord, I just, the person I'm thinking of right now, can you touch them? I've come into contact with somebody just recently that just isn't acting the same as normal. It's not somebody I have a deep relationship, but it concerns me. Lord, touch them. And then the idea, if I have an opportunity, are you okay? I, and I'm just, I'm speaking now real transformatively because these things hit my head. That's not easy to do. But as God alerts us, maybe he's asking, maybe in this situation he's asking me to go a step further and get into uncomfortable territory and saying, are you all right? Be sensitive to a person's needs and their emotions if there's changes. Ready? Utilize every opportunity that you come across to give people the good news that God is there for them, not against them, but he's there and wants to be a part of their life and help. That's kind of... Look at this now. One thing you don't want to do, it's kind of a summary statement, you don't want to fall in the trap of saving what God has given you for yourself. I know I already said that once. Don't hold on to what he's given you because you're afraid. That's exactly what the man in the story did. I was afraid. You, I perceived or I, I believed that you were a hard man or you're a hard taskmaster. I was afraid so. That didn't cut it. Don't hold on to what you have or what God has given you because you're afraid. The idea of not engaging with others because you feel like you have nothing to offer. That's not God. When you withdraw from people or don't get involved in their lives because you feel like you've got nothing to offer, you absolutely have things to offer. When you fail to recognize the wonderful gifts, skills, and abilities that he's given you that can be used for others, don't get stuck leaving those dormant. Don't get stuck into failing to invest these things in the kingdom. Because what God says in that is if that's the habit we get into and persist to live in that way, he calls us wicked and lazy servants. That's exactly what he said. And it hasn't changed. I know it's a harsh statement, but it's the reality. He's trying to get our attention. He's, he's trying to jolt us into actually moving to action. Beware of this. Like I said it once before. Beware of the statement, I'm too busy. I have too much going on. Or I already put my time in. I've already done that. Now it's time for somebody else. Who said? Who said? If there's a job that needs to be done and you can do it, do it. Or there's somebody else that can do it better. How do you know somebody else could do it better? Those are all statements from the beginning, which is a cultural thing. I'm too busy. I've got too much going on. I can't do that. My question to you is to reevaluate what you're doing with your time. I think it's rampant in Christian culture today that we have busied ourselves with too much outside of kingdom work. 
and it leaves a dearth, uh, a shortage, if you will, of people that are faithful servants doing that. Now, I am all for vacations and recharging your batteries. I talked about that last week. I was transparent and said, I do that. Tammy and I talk regularly. One of the other things we do is sometimes we try to trick ourselves into thinking we're on vacation so we can get some R&R. And we're going to do that. We're going to take our camper next week down to Southwick's, but we're going to work every day. But it gives us at least evenings where we might be able to sit around the fire, a change of pace where I can't do a home project. Just those kinds of things where we can sit out in the beauty of whatever. You see what I'm saying? So I am a proponent, and I practice in my own life, recharging the battery, getting away, taking time, and those kinds of things. But I'm telling you that we live in a culture, and it's crept into the church where we got ourselves way too busy. And it's too easy to say, I, I can't. I can't. I don't have any time. Jesus is saying, that's not going to cut it on Judgment Day. Who is the wise and faithful servant that saw to it that the servants were being fed at the proper time? In other words, who are the faithful servants that revolve their life around kingdom impact and fit the other things of the world only if they fit? That's the way we're supposed to live. The other things in life only do happen if after we faithfully serve God and invested in his kingdom. The sad reality is this, if we, in what we do, whether it's busyness, I don't have anything to offer, somebody else can do it better, I put my time in, what we're actually doing is what the last servant did, is we're burying the things that God gave us we don't, we would never, as good Christians, we would never claim that they're ours. And I know it's not my money, and I know it's not my time, and I know it's not that, but yet we do exactly what that servant did, which is bury it. And I'll give it back to him at the end. Jesus said, no, that doesn't work. That's a faith, that's a, that's a wicked, lazy servant. And he says in the end, he will take that and give it to somebody else in the end. In other words, he's, he's patient for a while, but after a while, he will send it to somebody else. He'll find somebody else to do that. What we do want to be, be a kingdom investor. Take that phrase down, kingdom investor. Let them, your idea, if you're an investor in the real world financially, think about those things as an illustration. But don't get hung up in just the money. Be a kingdom investor with all that you got. Everything that you've got, your time, your talents, your skills, your abilities, your gifts, your relationship, your influence, all of those things, find ways, look for ways, seek for ways to invest those in the kingdom. How do you do that? How do you become a kingdom investor? By serving other people, by serving others. Don't hoard your time. Don't be stingy with your time. Start asking these kinds of questions. What can I do, God? What can I do to invest in your kingdom? How can I take this ability? How can I take this skill? How can I take my time? How can I take the things that I do in my job and have an impact in your kingdom? There are lots of things that you can do. 
Some of them are things that you do and nobody will ever see privately. But when it comes to calling Grace Community Church your home, there are lots of things that you can do here. You say, what? Let me just... We need... There's lots of things to be done. If you were here Wednesday night, there's lots of things to be done and lots of things coming that need to be done. And what we need are people who have that kingdom investment heart and who want to serve or realize they need to serve, even if they don't want to all the time, but realize I need to get active. I'll give you some concrete examples. Can can you love children? Do you love children? Do you love children? Do you have it in your capacity to love children? And pour into them? You want to see them serve Jesus? Be a nursery worker. And do more than just babysit. Take time with that kid. Speak into their life. Tell them how much Jesus loves them. And then when the duty's over and you see them next week again, go up and say, hey there, how you doing? Sunday school. Be a teacher. And how about this one now? For you creative minds. Pray. Seek God. What kind of creative kids events could you do or could we do together? Come up with them. You won't step on anybody's toes by coming to a pastor or an elder or somebody. You know, I got this idea. Let those things come out because you've got to realize, well, I have all kinds of ideas. Do you realize that not everybody has those ideas? You wonder sometimes, why don't we do this? Because nobody else has thought of it except for you. And if you don't share it, we may never do it. And that doesn't make your leadership wrong. If God gives the idea, and if you are a creative person, take the time to seek God for creative ideas as far as kids are concerned. How about this one? Is technology something that doesn't scare you to death? And I say that, nobody would ever say that they're a technological expert because there's always somebody smarter. But I also know on the other end of the spectrum, there are people that are afraid to push the button on their computer on their phone because they're afraid it's going to explode or they're going to do some kind of damage that can't be fixed. If that's you, probably technology isn't the place to serve. But if you're a person that's not afraid of it, we have so many areas that are just in their infancy stage of growing, our live stream. Um, we have so many things that the sound techs do in the back, and, and we don't have it yet, but lighting and things like that. There's wiring that needs to be run through the building at different times. If, if technology and some of those things are things that are interesting to you or at least something you feel like you could help with, make that known. I'd be willing to jump into those kinds of things. And then the same thing. How about this one for, again, the creative mind? What are the creative ways that we can use technology that the world is running in the ground negatively? How can we use the, the powerful tools technologically, internet, all that stuff there? How can we use those things to impact people for the kingdom of God. What creative ways? Pray about it. Seek the Lord. And when you have ideas, share them. Do you have the path? Do you, do you, do you love, do you care for the people in your, in your church? Do you really care for them? Are you one of those people that you could not wait to get back in the room? Not so much because it was just the way it was, because you couldn't hardly go another day without seeing your church family face to face. Do you care for people like that? Use that love, that care, which is a God-given ability to help other people, to pray for other people that come to your mind, to check in on other people by phone or whatever it is or a physical visit. 
If you know somebody that's hurting and struggling, instead of calling somebody else to go, you go. When you are aware of the struggle, I'm going to tell you right now the honest truth, people expected of me, they expected of Jeff, and they even expected of their home group leader from their home group. But you know what they don't expect? They don't expect you to do it. And when you do it, because God put me, put you on my heart, that's power. Because God was able to speak to you and encourage you to go to them. I'm not saying it gets the rest of us off the hook, if you will, or whatever. But I'm saying that's the way the body of Christ is supposed to work. When you know of a need, meet it. Trusting that there's a reason that maybe God brought it to your attention. Because you already have the groundwork laid in that person's life to speak. Send a note of encouragement. Send a text. Make a call. Physically visit. Go out for coffee. Go out to dinner. Have them around the fire in your backyard. Do you know somebody that can't get out easily? It's difficult. Go visit them. When you think about that, boy, it's got to be tough. Go visit them. Go visit them. And like I said, are you creative? And I know there's lots of creative minds. What fresh and creative ideas come to your mind that would be a blessing to people? What creative ways can we point people to Jesus? I would encourage, too, those that listen regularly and will continue maybe forever, for whatever reasons, to listen via online. What creative ideas can you think up of ways that we can impact our online people with meaningful interaction other than just hearing a message on a Sunday morning? How can we engage how can you engage with others that are like you? Let us know. There are also in the midst, there are strategic thinkers. <laughs> if you're not a strategic thinker, you probably scratch and say, what the heck is that? If you're a strategic thinker, you know exactly what I'm doing. You see an issue, a problem, it bothers you, and you spend a lot of time trying to think through of solutions. Jeff shared this with me, one thing that's on his mind. How do we break down the barrier between people and church? How do we break down the barrier between people and church? We said we got a ball field. We have lots of people come. True. But how do we go from there to here? Or from there to online listening? Or better yet, let's, let's remove all the service. From there to relationship with Jesus Christ. How do we break down that barrier? Because I'm telling you, culturally, there's definitely a barrier. We are no longer Christian at our core as a nation. Christianity at best is an afterthought. Religion at best is an afterthought. How do we break down that barrier? If you're a strategic thinker, get before the Lord and seek His face. God, what can we do to break down that barrier? What actions can be taken? Share what He comes up, what He shows you. How do you engage? What strategic ways can we engage with people? giving them the answers that Jesus has for them personally. What does that look like? If you hear this, what I'm saying is don't leave it just for people in position in church. If you call Grace Community Church your home or you listen regularly online, find ways to use what God has given you to invest in his kingdom. And not just for the church, but to your neighbor, your coworker. It's, it's bigger than just church. And then just this general thing sometimes is ask God for ideas. No agenda, no nothing. God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do to impact your kingdom? 
Listen, and then listen to what he says. You know what he said this? If you ask for a fish, I'm not going to give you a stone. In other words, he says, I will give you what you ask for when you ask with the right motives. And when you ask God, what do you want to do to impact people for the kingdom, you can be guaranteed that is really close to his heart. And, and so you sit back then and listen to that, and then take seriously what comes across your mind at that point. And if you're afraid about that, tell them to protect you from just your own thoughts. But then when he puts it on there, be bold to act on that idea, on that thought, on that action. What does that look like? Share it if you feel you need permission. But if it's something that you can do about calling a person or a person comes to your mind, don't go to somebody else to go do. You go do. You go talk to them. You engage with them. Well, I don't know how. Ask God to give you what to do. He'll show you. Like I said, you will not be overstepping your bounds by coming to one of the leaders of the church and saying, I got an idea. I got an idea. I don't exactly know how to pull it all off. I even have an idea of this, but how could we do it or could we do it? Questions came up. I said Sunday night, there are a lot of talented, skilled, and gifted people that call Grace Community Church their own, that have a lot of ability, a lot of skill, a lot of creativity, a lot of those things there. And the key thing is, one of the reasons that we're looking at adding extra spiritual leadership is so that we can equip and empower those people to go out and do what God's showing them to do, or what he will show them to do. Let's pool our resources and invest together. Isn't that what they do in the, in, in, you know, again, to bring it back to money, something we're probably more familiar with, unfortunately. It's sad that we have to use money to mutual funds. What's that? A whole bunch of people put all their money together into one fund, and they're able to buy more together than they could do by themselves. It allows them to have a much more diversified account. Let's, as the body of Christ here at GCC, and those listening in that regularly listen, let's pool our resources, and invest in the kingdom together. We still invest on our own. We still do our own thing, but together we will accomplish a great deal more than if any one of us tried to do it all by ourselves. Let's invest together. Let's become, ready, an army, a virtual army of kingdom investors. A virtual army of kingdom investors that we don't need to talk about our church, because it has such wide-reaching influence in the lives and changed lives of people that word spreads on its own. Don't get me wrong, we still should, should do what we can to get the word out and that kind of thing there. But the best, the best advertisement, if you will, are people that are be positively affected and lives are being changed for the kingdom of God because of our investment, individually and corporately. If we do that, when we do that, when we invest individually and become investors for kingdom and then we corporately come together to be an army of generous investors in the kingdom of God, God will be pleased and he will welcome us into eternity at the end, whether we die or he returns, and he will tell us, well done, good and faithful servant. And we will be like those two servants where he, he says, you have been faithful with a small thing. Do you realize that all the things you say, wow, I have just, I'm just overwhelmed today, Pastor, because I never saw all the stuff that God's given me 
that are supposed to be investment in the kingdom. It seems big. He's telling you in light of eternity and what he has planned for me and you in eternity, this is a very small thing. Because he says, I'm going to, you've been, in, you've been faithful in a small, I'm going to give you more influence. That can be true here on earth, but I believe that's going to happen in eternity. That as we faithfully invest everything we have for his kingdom's glory, he's going to give much more influence and much more authority in the things that we'll be doing, ruling and reigning with him throughout eternity. And so again, if you look at this, if you really will take aside and really empty yourself of self, you will recognize there is not a single bit in any of this. That's self-promotion, self-making me look good, or selfishness, what do I get out of it? It's all totally and completely about his kingdom's growth, growth in eternal things, and frankly, it doesn't matter one iota what the results are in my life. Because you know what? When there's true kingdom impact, it meets the real desire that we have deep down inside of us to be filled and to be full and to be satisfied. All those other things we look to fill that leave us not satisfied. But when, when we invest in the kingdom and the kingdom is impacted, more people are influenced and growing and coming to Christ and we're engaged in that, it, it breathes life, it brings energy, and it meets that need. It's the most satisfying thing a human being can do because that's what we were built for. And until we start doing it and being obedient and walking in it, we're not going to have a satisfied spot in our heart because God built us to be kingdom investors and to be kingdom builders and to be kingdom workers. And until we do that, we're going to be left wanting. Let's pray. I would just encourage you, I don't know what Jeff's going to do for closing in a second, but I would just encourage you right now in this moment, I am fairly confident that the Lord may have brought something to your mind today that you previously have not seen as something that he's given that's meant to be used for his kingdom. Can you offer it to him right now? Even if you don't fully understand how he could use it or where he could use it, just give it to him. Just give it to him. Just saying, I give it to you. Can you spend this in your kingdom for growth?